Welcome to the Chaos Twins podcast. I'm Nicole Dykes. And I'm Cora Rose. And we're here with Lucy Lennox today. Yes. (laughs) Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course, we could not believe that you agreed to this, but we're excited. (laughs) Anything to get out of writing, I'm good. Oh, right. See, this is a typical author response. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Lucy has an amazing group. Um, It's called MM Author Support. Yeah, uh, Gay and MM Author Network. Yes. And that group is incredible. And like you, there's so much knowledge there that I highly recommend it. Um, So whenever I asked Lucy, I was like, I hope that she says yes, because she definitely knows what she's talking about. Oh, thank you. And we were just so excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you guys are doing this. It's we like your group. We just we wanted to um, be able to help as much as we can. Yeah. But, well, I think um, especially for indie so authors, much- you know, knowing yes. that you're not alone and knowing that there are people out there who are willing to help makes a huge difference. Yes, that helps so much. Like, like you said, not being alone because it can get lonely. And you can feel like you're doing, like, everything wrong because there's just so much information out there. Yeah. And a lot of wrong information. Yeah. Well, and you also kind of have to learn (laughs) that, like, there's so much information out there. How do you figure out what's right for you? Yes. And that's the biggest point, too, is, like, what works for one is not going to work for somebody else. Right. And And you have to kind of learn it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long have you been published? I have been doing this for seven years. It'll be seven years. It's actually seven years this month since I published oh, my first congratulations. book. Congratulations. That's yeah, amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It was Thanksgiving yes. Day, American Thanksgiving um, oh, in wow. 2016. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, okay. It goes by fast. Yes, it really does. It's crazy to me how fast it goes. I know. But, but um, you know, when you're just starting out, you you think, it's, I'm never going to be the author who has a big backlist. I'm never going to be the author who has, right. you know, who's managing multiple titles and multiple series. And and then before you know it, yes. you know, that's, that's yeah. you know, where you Your are. Your backlist is huge. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, it's awesome. Um, if you search Lucy Linux, like, you're going to just pull up a ton of books and it's so cool. Yeah. It helps especially too whenever when you're a binge reader. You guys have done that. But yeah. a binge, yes, especially if you're a binge reader and especially if you like series. Yes. And that's, I mean, I do and <laughs> I am. So yeah, Same. I definitely have read a bunch of your books and just binged them all like in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about Kindle Unlimited because that is just a hot topic right now. Yes. Are we for it? Is it is a hot topic, especially today. Um, you know, I'm a uh, huge Kindle right. Unlimited reader. Um, yes. And um, I'm a huge Kindle Unlimited reader. I'm a, a whale reader. That's sort of a okay. term we use. Like, I, I read almost a book a day. Um, and so Me I too. feel like I couldn't 
necessarily do that without Kindle Unlimited. So in that way, I'm a huge fan as a reader. Um, it's a very, right. very good value. And because of that, I've been a fan as an author too, because enrolling in Kindle Unlimited makes our books very accessible um, to yeah. not only to readers who are on a budget, but also to binge readers uh, like me. And yeah. I built my business on KU. You know, KU is is how people were able to give me and lots of other new indie authors a chance. It's a, such a low barrier to entry. There's no risk. You know, download yep. the book for free in your in your subscription program. And if you don't like it after the first few pages or the first couple of chapters, you know, no skin off your teeth other than your time. So exactly, I'm torn now because in the seven <laughs> years that I've been doing this, the Kindle Unlimited payout, authors get paid by the page that's read. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not really a, the, the page count that we know by looking at like the hardback page count. It's another valuation that is done behind the scenes that Amazon does of your book. But we do get paid by the page read. And that rate has been trending downward consistently. Um, yeah. In the seven years that I've been doing this, it 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 has always trended downwards in those seven years. If you look at a trend line, um, yes, yeah. it goes up and it goes down. And so a lot of authors are like, well, it goes up some months and it goes down others. <laughs> but, you know, overall, it stays steady. And it it actually doesn't. If you look at a trend line, um, right. it has been trending down. So that is disconcerting. I mean, I think every author needs to decide their own comfort level on how they value their books and what they are and are not willing to accept for you know, for, for payment, for their work. That is a very personal decision for each author to, um, to come to. And I don't ever begrudge another author or reader for making their own personal decisions about Kindle Unlimited. So I really can only speak for myself that yes. um, Amazon is showing us with their actions that they are devaluing our work over time. And, um, and so what that means for us as authors, for me in particular, is that I'm going to now look for other ways of getting my books into readers' hands in a way that is, you know, budget-minded, that's accessible to readers, um, but that's right. also in a way that maintains what I perceive to be the value of my work. And, um, and I know that readers, you know, readers still expect a book that's professionally edited and has a professional cover design. Um, and it's, you know, it's difficult to do that unless you make, you know, a certain amount of money to cover those costs for, especially for a lot of authors who are just getting started. So um, the yeah. reason this is such a hot button today is because news has come out that Amazon and Audible are testing a program Ooh. that will allow authors to use AI to narrate their audiobooks, which makes audiobook production extremely affordable for authors who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it, which is very attractive to a lot of authors who feel like audiobook creation is um, is not an option available to them because it's you know cost prohibitive for some authors. And so I can understand the lure of that. Unfortunately, um, in this test, Amazon has declared that they are going to pay for this out of the Kindle Unlimited, um, the, the Kindle Select Fund, which is the fund and used to pay. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. So the biggest I, problem, I, I mean. <laughs> yep, exactly. So you can feel however you want to feel about AI-generated content, um, yep. but when you, when you um, start to say, we are now going to allow for AI-generated content to be paid for, out of the Kindle Select fund, that means now it's now it's super much more directly impacting KU authors who don't use AI 
Um, and and I, I don't claim to be any kind of AI expert, and I don't I don't usually like to make public declarations about various um, you know drama issues in the industry. Right. But in this particular case, you know, I have close relationships with my narrators who who make a living because of human generated right. narration, and who will will be put out of business if this becomes. Um, you know, an easy, more, uh, an easier, more affordable option for authors. And if listeners accept this level of quality, yeah. it could, it could really change the game. So that's it's why it's particularly hot today. Hit. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And it's just, yeah, I don't think, I don't know. It's so weird. Artists, for some reason, our occupations seem to be like perceived as a hobby more than like yes. any other job. Yep. But it is our job and we do put money mm-hmm. into it. And mm-hmm. so yeah, this is very it's disheartening to see it. And yeah. Yeah, I and saw that this readers, morning and I was like, "No." Yeah. Yeah. A lot of readers, well, and the thing to note is that this is just in a beta program right now. So, this is right. the time to tell Amazon and Audible how we feel about it. So as yes. authors and consumers, we need to speak out now before it is sort of codified into a permanent program status. Um, yes. But, but you know, everybody has different opinions about it, and that's totally understandable. Um, I agree with you, though. Uh, I do think we have a lot of super fans, especially in our genre. I'm sure it's like this in every genre, who really yeah. want to support authors and want authors to get paid you know, a high value for their work and they value our work very highly. Um, and so a lot of of readers are always asking us, how can we best support you? How can we make sure that, you know, that we're valuing your work? And, um, and so because of that, it becomes incumbent upon us sometimes to communicate with our readers and listeners and say, this is how you can support us. You can speak up, um, and, and let these retailers know what you think. You know, we're not telling you what to think, totally. you know, but you, you let them know, is this what you're looking for? Are you looking for audio to be computer generated and more affordable? Is that what you're looking for? Um, or do yeah. you, you know, and, and so, you know, and some readers are sort of like, you know, I don't mind it being in the marketplace, but I want it to be clearly labeled. Like, you know, everybody has yeah. nuanced opinions about it. But um, yeah, and they're but, entitled to I hate whenever like, yeah, someone makes like a general post and they don't explain stuff. And then like the readers get confused and they're like, I'm going to yes. cancel my Kindle Unlimited. I'm like, wait, right, wait, wait. Right. Some of us really do depend on Kindle Unlimited. Exactly. Like, exactly. Ugh. I'm like, and we so have to I, be careful. Yeah. So I released a few yeah. novellas outside of Kindle and I normally release everything into Kindle Unlimited. And okay. I released a few novellas this year, not in Kindle Unlimited because of their short length. They were only right. earning me like 46 cents in the program. And I decided that my books are worth, you know, those stories are worth more than 46 cents. So I'm not going to enroll them in the program. And yeah. um, and so my readers sort of mistakenly thought that meant that I was anti-KU. And they started emailing me saying, why are you pulling everything out of KU? And I was like, yeah, I have like 55 books right now and 48 of them are still in oh, KU. Yeah. Like, exactly. Every, you know, almost That's... every full length book I have is either in KU right now or it's free right now or it's been in right. KU for years. You know, um, I so I do think communication is important. Yeah. yeah, because we're like, nobody understands what's going on. It's chaos. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And 
Cora and I were probably a little bit too honest sometimes, but, and I know you are, and I love how honest you are, Lucy, because you're transparent and you'll tell everybody, you know, this is what I'm making versus this. Like, I love your Mm -hmm. graphs Mm -hmm. because they're so clear cut and honest and like, it makes you think about stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's nice too, when authors who are in a position of experience or they have a big, big enough backlist or they make enough money to be able to do some of these riskier market tests, you know, like I can afford to roll a book out of KU and put it wide or sell it direct from my Shopify site and see, okay, Mm -hmm. what does that do? I can afford to take an audio out of exclusive distribution on Audible and see what that does to my sales numbers. And it's, in my case, my backlist is big enough. It's not going to mean I don't get to pay my electric bill that month if I, if the test fails. And so that's why if I can run that test and share my results with other authors, they can learn without having to take the same financial risk. And they just need to know that just because it worked this way for me doesn't mean it'll work that way for you. You know, obviously use your own discretion and your your own brain. But um, but that's I, I think information is power. And especially in the workplace, I think that if people can, you know, demystify uh, earnings and um, and and share the possibilities. Uh, And I know not every author feels that way. Some authors don't like it when authors share numbers um, or they think it's bragging or they think it's um, intimidating or you know, everyone has a different opinion about it, but to me, it's always been very inspiring and empowering because if I didn't know when I first got started in this business, if I didn't know what was possible, I might not have worked quite so hard to build my business as big as I did. But knowing what's possible helps me keep fighting to build my business bigger, you know? And Um, I think you do it like the right way. Like you do it in that group that's monitored and like, you know, private. And it really, it helps. It feels like a safe space. Yeah. And I just want to clarify what she means by private is you, you (laughs) have to apply to be in the group by showing that you've published a book. So it's not exclusive in terms of I decide who to let in or not. If you have published a gay or, yeah, no, that's okay. If you (laughs) have published a gay or MM, novel and you can provide a link to that, even if it's just on pre-order right now. Um, and that, that rule is, and you agree to the group rules, you know, but that rule is to keep us, because if we were open to aspiring authors, then we would be inundated with questions on how do I become an author? How do I publish a book? You know, how do I get to Kindle unlimited? Like, can, you know, how do I enroll in all of those beginner questions that would just flood the group with, um, yeah, how to become really an not author. what that group is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That makes so, sense. But it is open to any published author of gay or MM romance. And I and, highly and recommend open. it. Yeah, it's it's a really good group. And it's a good group because of the people who are in there. Like we don't have uh, post yeah. uh, approval on because everyone is really respectful of the rules and, you know, everyone That's is good. respectful <laughs> of each other. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a great group and I've learned a lot in there. And like, I think one of like the biggest downfalls you can have is thinking that, you know, it all, and doesn't matter how long you've been publishing, like just keep learning. It's all going to change anyways. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you need, you need to learn how to pivot for sure in this business. Oh yeah. 
For sure. And that's another reason why you see covers changing and, you know, mm-hmm. you just have to keep going. <laughs> yeah. And you have to pace yourself. You know, you can't yeah. sometimes like if you're in an author group and you see somebody is thriving by doing TikTok and you see somebody else who's thriving by doing a Shopify store and you see somebody yes. else who's thriving by doing special edition hardbacks, you get this <laughs> false sense in your head that you need to be doing all three. Yeah. And it's not really that the authors are out there doing all of it. <laughs> yeah. There aren't that many authors out there doing all of it. It's no. just, you know, pick one thing to try or pick one thing to add or test and yes. try not to get paralyzed with um, trying to do everything at once or trying to, you know, don't. And also for newer authors, don't compare your day 12 to my day 2000. Oh, Lordy. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. Don't get discouraged. Like, like you said, be inspired by it. Yeah. And know where you are in your journey. (laughs) Poor Cora. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I am. I am, but I'm listening. I'm learning. Yeah. See, Cora, she just sits back and listens. It's so cute. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're not feeling well. Oh, that's okay. Um, you know, for me, for Kindle Unlimited, because I was listening to you guys, <laughs> the reason I would go wide yeah. is because Kindle keeps putting my books in um, erotica. Erotica. Yeah. Yep. And so a lot of countries, I mean, there's a couple countries where my fans can't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very frustrating. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pull them right now, but yeah. like, that's kind of where Nobody I'm looking panics because it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Nobody yeah. panic, but like, yeah, but it's, it's frustrating because it's like, and then, you know, I email them and Amazon ignores me. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't. Their customer service. It. So it's just. Yeah, it's tough. I That's swear. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have that stupid glitch with just certain Kindles and I tried so hard to email uh, support and they keep trying to send me to like device support. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> listen. Yep. So, or yeah, they'll I mean, say, or they'll oh, say, get your so reader to contact support. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, my reader doesn't want to do all that. Like, yeah. it's, I well, need to figure note, it out. Yeah. Another note about yeah. KU that I realized uh, lately this year when I released a couple of novellas outside of KU is <laughs> yeah. that there were a lot of readers who didn't realize that, and this is not true across the board. Obviously, I can't speak for all authors, but if <laughs> I release a book, not in KU, chances are mm-hmm. it's available free through your library. So oh, just because yeah. it's not in KU doesn't mean it's not quote unquote free. Um, right. And that's, so that's something that mm-hmm. readers need to remember is, you know, and, and obviously this depends on where you are, but if you have access to a library ebook database, um, and this goes for, yeah. you know, the same thing for library audiobook databases, then, you know, then you may not need a KU subscription to enjoy your favorite author's wide titles. And by wide, we mean out of KU um, for free still, you know, you'll just be using your library card access and the author still gets paid because the library pays. Okay. That's interesting. That's a good point. And that's what I think people most authors we care we really do I don't know any author that's just like eh, whatever they're gonna read it no matter right. what like we care we want to make sure that there's yes. a balance but I mean yes. we are working hard 
we do put a ton of money into this. We kind of yes. need to make it back. <laughs> yes. Like, if we kind of need us to, to pay our bills. Books. Right. Exactly. Well, and I mean, you know, so if, if I us. have to have a, yeah, if I have to have a day job um, to be able to afford mm-hmm. editing and whatnot for my books, then I'm only going to be able to write a, a much fewer number of books, you know, exactly. per year. You know, so, yeah. but at the same time though, from a reader perspective, that doesn't put the money in their bank account to pay more. Um, right. But we just all need That's... to, you know, consider trying different ways. So like for me, one of the things yep. I did when I released those novellas was try to sell them through my Shopify store. And what that means is I'm sharing less of the money with a middleman, like a retailer. Right. And so that I can charge less. You know, so that the yes. reader is, you know, potentially paying less. Um, so it's, you know, yeah. let us just be understanding as authors try <laughs> different ways to yeah, let us play with it a little out for bit. All of us. Yeah. <laughs> and like the audio books, like eventually maybe we can all find a way to have it on our sites, you know, at a decent rate. You know, yeah. Don't give up on us. <laughs> like, yeah. But that also will be able to pay audio. our narrators. Yeah. Direct audio is a win-win in my opinion. Yeah. Because I can, I can charge less than Audible right. does on my direct website and the reader will still pay less than they pay yes, Audible for exactly. it. So like, and I earn more some time. So <laughs> I earn more, you pay less, you know, exactly. and, and you know, Audible doesn't, have control because the other thing is if I sell my audio through audible like I can't ever put it on sale for you like I can't ever put it on sale I can't ever give it to you free during a promo you know any of our audio that's on audible exclusive exclusive to audible it's I can't it that's out of my hands yeah and that's I mean (laughs) I know that $3.99 is going to be so tempting but guys it's not going to be anywhere near the quality and you know, it's just, just give us some time to figure this out. Yeah. But yeah, that was a little devastating this morning seeing that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but, and I'm a Kindle unlimited author and I, I haven't tried going wide and I don't know. I think, I don't know. It would be hard because I do make a lot more. more, Yeah, it, it does. It takes a lot more time and work. But um, it does. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I built my business on Kindle Unlimited. I mean, my right you know, my family has has I, I will <laughs> never I will never ding Kindle Unlimited for you know the past seven years of just massive uh, platform growth and um, yes, you know, which has enabled me to learn how to be a better author. Um, yeah. I mean, it's enabled me to learn how to be better at marketing and connecting with readers. I mean, yeah. It's and a, I've it's, seen it's a lot of models, white. <laughs> yeah, where like they will release it into Kindle Unlimited for like three months or something, and then they'll go wide with it. And I kind of like yeah. that. Like it gives your readers a chance to read it brand new. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, hopefully you're going to be making a little bit more on it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah. But I do say let everybody do whatever works for them. Absolutely. So, okay. So the other thing I know nothing about, but Lucy does, and she's helped Cora with this, and that's um, translations. 
Yes. Into other languages. Yes. And so you two can talk trans- about that. <laughs> yeah. Translations are an incredible opportunity to reach new readers. Um, and, you know, but it's tricky too. So in the past, um, the way, you know, w- when traditional publishing was the norm in this industry, right. you would have an agent and you would have a traditional publishing house and your agent or your publishing house would manage your foreign rights for you. They would sell your foreign oh. rights to foreign publishers or the okay. foreign arm of your publishing house or whatever. And so so indie authors actually have still done that to a certain extent in the last, since I've been doing this, for the last seven years, I still have witnessed um, with or without an agent, you can approach a foreign publishing house and say, I'm interested in selling, uh, it's, it's called like expanded rights, or foreign rights. I'm interested in selling translation rights in, in your particular country. You know, are you interested in my work? And they might, you know, consider it and give you an offer if they're interested. And then you're sort of on the hook as an indie author for either, either having an expanded rights agent who can help you look over those contracts or look over them yourself or hire an attorney piecemeal to help you look over contracts and enter into that contract but that would still be a traditional contract situation where then they become right. your publisher in that country. And I started okay. off doing my translations that way. I started off doing three different um, markets or three languages, German, French, and Italian with, okay. um, with a foreign translation deals that I just negotiated myself and signed, uh, assessed and signed the contracts myself. And that can oh, be wow. super dicey. So right. I would recommend any authors considering that. It's a fantastic opportunity because it costs you $0 and it will make you money. But what I would suggest is having authors, first of all, give you personal recommendations for whether or not you should use that particular publishing house because okay. they're not all, you know, companies you should go in business yeah, right. with. Right. <laughs> and there's have people. Yeah. Have other smart author friends at the very least read over your contracts with you to see if they seem fair, if there are any things you're overlooking or things you're not reading quite right. Cause there are a lot of sticky spots in there that can trip you up. Um, and you want to be careful that there are no rights grabs in there that you're just sort of not paying attention to. Um, but so that's what I did in the beginning. And it was great because I was making money without having to invest anything. And my, I was, you know, building readerships in these these foreign countries. And it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, however, it moves at the pace of traditional publishing. So <laughs> while I was busy releasing six or seven books a year in my series, oh. they were translating one per year or maybe oh. two per year. And it got to the point where... Ouch. <laughs> It's going to be a decade before this series is out. Oh my gosh. And meanwhile, you know, I'm releasing book seven and p- posting about it on my social media sites and people oh. in these countries only just got book two. And so it, it became frustrating for me that I was moving at indie pace that and that sense. was not. So it got to a point where I could afford to indie publish my own translations. But what that means is I now have to find the translator and hire them. I have to be concerned with the contracts, the rights, obviously the investment, the risk, the financial risk, what happens if you pay 
you know, even just a portion and they disappear without finishing the job? What happens if, you know, you find out later that they used AI when you said that, you know, they couldn't use AI? Like there's all kinds of pitfalls there. But there are also all kinds of resources out there. There are a lot of resources now, Facebook groups for authors who want to get into translations. And, um, And so I think that there are enough resources now to do it smartly. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so a lot of us are doing that now. And so I have now, um, stopped all agreements, um, with all of my foreign publishers. They're, they're not getting new books. And then I have started self-publishing translations in, I actually have translations self-published now in five languages, German, French, Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish. And I, unfortunately, I strongly in our genre don't recommend Spanish or Portuguese. Okay. Uh, obviously, you know, obviously your mileage may vary. Test it if you want. Luckily, I had the opportunity to test it with a much lower investment because okay. I had translators who were willing to do sort of a a partnership deal with like, I'll give you a really good deal on the first one so you can test the market kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but Germany is by far my most robust foreign market followed by France, followed by Italian. That's amazing. I don't know why that that surprised me, but it did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's interesting about the German market is that many of our German readers are already reading us in English. Wow. And, And so translating into Germany, it does bring you additional readers, but it it's, it's funny. Like if it's, they'll start reading you in German and if they get caught up and the next one is available in English and not German, they might read it and they might prefer to read it in German. But yeah, so that's interesting. So so I have a lot of German readers who who were reading me in English and now they're loving reading them in German. Oh, but, um, but yeah, German's been very, very, very lucrative so much so that I started self-publishing audio in German Wow. And I just I just published the first one a few weeks ago. And so I'm still figuring that out. There are not a lot of indie authors doing that right now with audio yeah. or on audio translations. And so I'm having to sort of reinvent the wheel and teach myself. <laughs> that is amazing. Not, it's it's time consuming and I'm just I I'm bet. unsure. So right. um but my French publisher has sold audio rights for one of the series that they do in French for me. So that's been coming out in French audio oh, wow. through Audible Studios and my French publisher, which has been fun to see as well. That's but, exciting. Um, yeah. Wow, I would say the biggest so challenges, cool. you know, if you're self-publishing, the biggest challenges are finding good, trustworthy translators yeah. who can work at a good pace. And um, and you then you also have to have like a proofer or an editor to go behind them. And, yeah. and then there's a lot of supplemental stuff that needs to be translated that you really don't think about until it comes up. Like marketing materials or ad copy oh, or wow. the titles or the author bio, you know, like yeah. your newsletter. <laughs> you know, if you want to, you know, I have newsletters in, in German, French, and Italian. Wow. And so, um, so it gets very complicated as you can imagine. And um, yeah, it's you have, like, like for another me, whole career. Exactly. It's definitely <laughs> like a full-time job. And so for me, I just want to make like be super transparent about that part. Because yeah. that part is a huge job and I can afford to have help. So right. I have multiple assistants who help with that, like loading the books, formatting the books, oh, um, yeah. keeping track of all the metadata, keeping track of which ones are wide and which ones are in, in KU. 
um, keeping track of which book needs to go to which translator next, communicating with the translators, paying the translators, <laughs> you know, moving from the translator to the proofer, uh, sending right. out the foreign newsletters, keeping track of, you know, the reader magnets that help build the list in those foreign languages. So that, that is so much administrative work right. that I would not be able to continue writing if I didn't have professional help doing that stuff. Yeah. And so that's something that every author should consider before going into this also, because it's definitely an investment. That that part of it is also an investment. Yeah. There's there's so much that goes into all of it. It is. Yeah. So yeah, that's good <laughs> to know all of that. Yeah. Cora, how has your experience been with the translation so far? It was really, it's been really good. Lucy was really yeah. helpful. <clears throat> and um, so then I, I kind of went wild. <laughs> and I, It's easy to do. She did. It, it is. And I remember I, I did. I, I am on book. I, my fifth book is being translated in like three <laughs> months. Right. Cause I found yeah. some really good translators and a really great proofer for German and um, I remember I finally published Wit, and then I asked my husband, I was like, shoot, like, I just blew through all this money. <laughs> I hope I make yeah. it back. <laughs> and he kind of just stared at me. He's like, what is wrong with you? I was like, well, I got really excited. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, they're right now, like, <clears throat> last month and this month, they're like my um, bestsellers right uh, now. Like, they're, they're selling yeah. the most. Yep. Yeah. I've had a lot of months in the last two years because my new writing has been really down because of family reasons in the last oh. like 18 months to two years. And so there were a lot of months where the majority of my income was coming from those German translations, especially German. Wow. Um, and it's shocking yes. when you see, you know, your little pie chart <laughs> and, you know, and so much of it is green for German, you know, it's, it's, it's That's wild. crazy. Yeah. That's, I've gotten so many messages from Cora, like, oh, I hope I made the right decision. I'm like, just hang on. You're going to be okay. And it's just like, it's making money. I'm like, yay. (laughs) I know. It's it's awesome. And the other thing is, is, if you ever get the chance to do an event over there in Europe, like I've done Rare London a couple of times, and people will take the train over from France, and they'll, you know, they're, they're just complete French speakers. I have a really great super fan, Sarah Lena, who showed up from France and she was wearing a shirt that she had made that oh. was basically, it said, I want to be made Marion, but it was all in French and it had all the, my main characters from that oh, series wow. on it. And it was just amazing, you know, to have all of these, you know, these fans, That's I get so emails cool. in French and Italian and German and it's, it's, it's incredible. It really yeah. is. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would blow my mind. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. And do you have an agent? I do have an agent. I have, um, I kind of backed into it in a funny way. We, um, <laughs> I've co-written a series with Sloan Kennedy called the Twist of Fate series. Oh, I love that we series. Yeah. We were approached by a Hollywood producer for the film <gasps> option for that series several years ago. And so when we were given that offer, we hired a, a very well-known attorney she's also an author in her own right but she's an attorney who specializes in film rights for authors maggie oh, Marr. Wow. she's awesome and um so we hired her to help us with the negotiation and the contracts and she also is an agent so um oh. so i ended up getting an offer for three different series or two series and one a standalone um film film option offers and then wow. um, because she also acts as an agent and she's an attorney 
Um, she can act as my agent if I want her to, or I can just, you know, have her do like contract review. Um, if I'm, you know, if I need that, but, yeah. um, so I'm really lucky to have her, but yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Contracts. We've seen them get kind of shady. Especially yes. Recently. Yes. Like, I had, do you want to talk about that? that? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I had one recently. What was it? Do you remember? I posted about it. I remember that and reading it all. Was it about a photographer? It was about the photographer, right? Well, no. I did. Oh, yeah. I did have one. No, I did. Foreign, that right? was just a little note. Pay attention because I had a photographer who I've bought cover images from who slightly changed their contract um, to say that you couldn't use the cover image on your foreign translation versions oh, without yeah. paying an additional licensing fee. And I just happened to notice it because I'm a big contract reader. Like I don't sign contracts without reading That's them. smart. <laughs> and so I noticed it and I just wanted to bring it to other authors' attentions to realize that sometimes that, you know, those get added and yeah. you need to be paying attention. Don't assume that this contract is the same as the one from her you signed before. Um, you yeah. know, it's her, it's her prerogative to be able to change it. Obviously every contract is different, but no, there was something way more egregious. It was somebody who was asking for like, I can't remember now it might've been foreign translation, but it, it was also, they wanted to be able to adapt it, write a screenplay yeah. from it like sell the film rights to it, own the rights forever. Like it was something egregious. I think there was egregious. even like AI in it. Like, yeah, it was something that was, I was, oh yeah. No, you know what else? There was a, there was a, a was it like a small publisher who was soliciting submissions? It was FF, I think, Lesvik. Oh, wow. There was submissive, sub, sub, Soliciting submissions That's for tough. like an anthology that they were going to use, um, and they were not offering any compensation, and that, they would yeah. basically own the rights to your story forever, and the exposure was just going to be really great. Which, first of all, let me say, they absolutely have the right to do that, a hundred percent. I'm not complaining about that offer or that opportunity at all. My yeah. point to authors was. If you're going to enter into this, make sure your eyes are wide open that this is a lifetime rights grab, Yeah, that you need to be aware you're giving away lifetime rights with no compensation. So you could become John Grisham in three <laughs> years, and mm -hmm. they're still going to own this story forever. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm never going to sign away my rights, my lifetime rights. That's not something I'm ever going to do. Yeah. So, um, so I just think authors need to go into everything with their eyes wide open is my big thing. And that opened my eyes to it because I am way too trusting and I'm just like, Oh, it's fine. I'm sure that right. it's not like you need to read it. Like, yeah, <laughs> you do. And I'm so guilty well, of just signing it away. And especially back to translations, if yeah. you're entering into an agreement for a company to publish your translations, or yeah. if you're entering into an audio production company agreement, like with Tantor or Podium to make your audios, either way, there needs to be an expectation of how long the agreement is good for, Yes, when you can get out of it, but also how long do they have to get that product into the marketplace? Because oh, in the beginning- point. I signed, I didn't know better. And I signed a couple of foreign translation deals, contracts where 
it didn't occur to me to tell them the timeline that those books needed to come out. So yeah. even though the contract was, let's say, for seven years, they it didn't say when they had to put the book out. Oh, yeah. So it could have been, it could have been they're sitting on my best-selling <laughs> book and not translating it in that language right. for seven years. Oh, my gosh. See, it's just such a learning process, like everything yes. is. And, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that would not be fun. Yeah. Sit there and wait. Yeah. So read your contracts. It is important. Yes. I know it doesn't seem like it, especially yeah. like when I was new, especially. I was like, somebody wants to give me a contract? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, just read it. Be careful. People will sneak stuff in there. Well, and also, like – you need to, to some extent, get the mindset of what if you do become somebody huge one day? What if you yeah. become Colleen Hoover one day? You know, right. you need to keep that in the back of your mind when you're looking at these contracts. And you need to keep that in the back of your mind when you're making some of these decisions, like, should I use a pen name or not? Like, yes. you know, when people are like, oh, I don't care if somebody can find my house. Nobody cares. I don't sell enough books for, pe- <laughs> for me to have to worry about somebody approaching my kids at school. Well, like, okay, but if you became Colleen Hoover in a year, Right. And people started, you know, walking up to your kid in their school and reading, you know, passages of your book out loud to them on the school bus. Like then you, you might say, wow, gosh, I wish I'd used a pen name. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's up to every author to make the decision, but like, do be thinking about that because hopefully, you know, your aspiration is that you wouldn't mind if you hit it big and became Colleen Hoover. Like, yeah. Cause you just literally never know. You just have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Like your right. life can change in a day. So yeah, yep. that's a good point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have some questions from our readers and this one is specifically for you, Lucy. Um, in Search Of just came out. You and Molly have been giving glimpses of Oscar all along. When can we expect his book? So that is the million dollar question. <laughs> that is a very good question. Um, I would say I can't make any promises. I will say right. that we have already written a lot of it. Um, okay. and um, But we got to about 70,000 words and realized that it needed a lot of work. So okay. now we have to go back and rewrite at least half of it because we have a much better, like we came up with a much better plan. Okay. and. And that's something that happens. Like you guys know this, but like, you know, we don't want to put out a book that's just okay. We want to put out right. a book that's great. And so if the words aren't great when you write the first draft, sometimes it takes a lot more revision and a lot more time and rewriting to get it great. And so until it's yeah. actually done, I can't say when it's going to be great enough to publish. And that's that's another one of those mistakes I've learned along the way. Like I used to be able to say, well, it takes me about this much time to write a book. So you can probably expect this like around February. But yeah. now I know that like I could write it bad, you know, five times in the next few months and, right. and it's still not going to be ready to come out in February. So I've learned to try to stop making promises <laughs> until the book is at the editors. Yes. And um, but I will say that we are hard at work on it. But I will also say this, and you guys, this applies to you guys too, I'm sure. When there's a co-writing situation yeah. with two people who also have solo writing careers, it is not as easy to mm-hmm. make commitments to those deadlines because 
I have other projects going with other co-writers. I have solo projects. I have other business commitments that, that don't include writing. Yes. I have um, obviously family commitments and the holidays and whatnot. And my sister, Molly, who writes under Molly for this collab, um, oh. she also has an author career and she um, has a three-year-old child and she has a family and we don't live in the same state. So yeah. there's so many different factors. And when we first started writing this series together, we actually, and I don't know if I've ever really talked about this publicly, we were going to write oh. five novellas. They were going to be 25,000 word novellas, five Aww. of them. <laughs> and we were going to write, so that's, that's 125,000 words total for the whole five book series. That's and we're just going to write it. Boom, 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 boom. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> and then the so first cute. book ended up being like 85,000 words. And we're like, oh, shoot. That is so, so funny. <laughs> that is why it's taken us five years because we never yeah. in a million years thought we were going to have to make room in our schedules for what, like almost 500,000 oh. words instead yeah. of 125,000 words, which has just been a massive unexpected workload oh my to goodness. try and fit into all of our other projects. So that's that's part of the challenge here and that's part of that, why it's yeah. taken so long. But also, like I said, we started almost five years ago. My sister has a three-year-old. So you can imagine, like, they've <laughs> been, and plus we had a pandemic. You know, we had a oh. pandemic too. So it's it's just been a super big challenge compared yeah. to what we thought it would be. But we love these characters enough to, you know, to try and get it right before oh. we release them to them. I love, so that's, yeah. that's the deal. That's what Cora, she went for a book signing and then I got really sick and now she's sick. <laughs> And then I got behind on my solo book. So she's like, we need to write Jim Bob. And I'm like, I know I need to finish this one again. And like so much just comes up whenever you're co-writing with yes. somebody. Like you yes. just never know. <laughs> it's right. two different schedules. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> it can be total chaos, but it's so much fun. Like how it many is. people do you write with? So right now, this will be, this is this fifth book in the After Oscar series is the last collaboration with my sister um, that we have planned. Yeah. And um, then I currently still very actively write with May Archer. We're actually working on something together right now also. Um, We also have a surprise joint release coming out next week oh which we have not announced yet so you're hearing it here first (laughs) you have the exclusive all right um and it's going to be a a surprise release on a day but we're going to like kind of tease it a little bit in the next few days exciting yeah and um and then and we're working on another and then um I have in the past written with Sloan Kennedy. We have a four book series called Twist of Fate. And we also have a crossover between her Protector series and my Maid Marian series yes. called Mine. And, um, but we no longer write together actively. You don't? Okay. Um, we're, no, we're very, we're very good friends. Aww. And we're still, uh, we're still partnering on this pursuit of getting the Twist of Fate series um, in film, which they're looking at an episodic tv show kind of thing there it's actively oh being shopped it's a very long process like, i will um, die like i love that i will too so you like, get in line get in like, line i'm like internal i'm like freaking out i'm like yes i need yeah. this so bad i it's, had no idea pretty, there's a lot of support for it there's a whole right. team of people who've already signed on it's oh just God. very slow moving hollywood is is unless you're you know huge yeah I it, believe that just for a regular project, Hollywood, especially with the pandemic and the strike and everything else, it's, it's oh, been a yeah. lot. So, 
Oh my God, um, though, that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's exciting to see all the other LGBTQ content that's coming out because, yes. you know, when you see the, when you see how well Red, White, and Royal Blue did, when you see how uh-huh. well Heartstopper does, then you're like, oh, okay, well now, like, it's not nearly as hard to try and convince the, you know, the people with money right. in Hollywood that this, that this'll, that this'll sell. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so that just always makes me that, so happy whenever I yes. see it trending on Netflix and I'm just like, yep. Yes. And I don't care, like, whatever your opinion is about it, it's putting us on the map. It's helping. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Like, yes, I just love it. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's helping make it super mainstream. I Um, love that so much. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not shameless. But it is exciting. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, Sloan, so Sloan and I, and, and our books, those books still um, have very active readership and, oh, yeah. and, you know, fan base and stuff. So we still, you know, we're still um, working together on the back end, you know, to support Aww. those books. And, you know, like, for instance, right now, we, we had them traditionally published in Germany through a publisher and we just got our rights back. So we're going to be releasing them um, self-published in German um, in the next like week or two. And so, you know, that we're still doing That's a lot of work so on the exciting. back end the co-writes but that's it so moving forward um after I finish the one I'm working on right now with May I'm going to take a break from co-writing with anyone for at least a little while and I'm going to be really trying to focus on getting some good solid Lucy solos out again oh that's exciting too yeah that's I always say I don't think I could work with anybody but core (laughs) yeah it's it's hard you learn a lot yeah you learn a lot about how other people work and like you can love the person. They could be your bestie. They could be your sister. They could be your anybody, you know, but you're still going to like, you're going to learn so much about them and how they work and and their strengths and weaknesses. I mean, that's one of the things that's so exciting about working with May is that her strengths fit in like little Lego pieces to where my weaknesses are and vice versa. That's and good. so, you know, it, and I, I learned so much from watching how she does emotions and character arcs and things that, you know, and like side characters and things that, that I think she does such a great job at that, you know, her humor. Um, oh. I learned so much watching how she does all of that. And then yes. I catch myself writing like her, you know, because oh, I'm so used funny. to it now. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. Cora and I were like, we got so lucky because we're very similar and yeah, we definitely like, she's hilarious. And then sometimes I'll make it sad. <laughs> yeah, and she'll fix it. Um, but yeah, like it's, you have to be careful, I think, with co-writing too. Like, yes, you don't you always do. get lucky. I've seen it get ugly. No, you don't. You know, so yeah. <laughs> it's good to hear that well, you've had really good experiences too. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I mean, I've had a lot of co-writing challenges as well, but I just, you know, but it doesn't mean like you can be super close to the people that you co-write with, but like not, not have the same views on like how to do revisions or what needs to be revised or how, how you want to revise it or what tone you want the story to be in. You know, there, there can be so many areas where you can have disconnects, but, um, but I, I will say this and and then I want to hear what you guys have to think about this. One of the reasons why co-writing works so well between me and May yeah. is because we had a, we had both co-written with other people before we started. And so we got into it with our eyes open about the challenges and the benefits of yeah. co-writing. And we had a lot of very frank discussions about uh, like, yes. like what, what we were hoping it would be like, what we would do if it wasn't, what we would do if we had conflicts, like 
how like we both express to each other so much that like you have to be honest with me. You have to tell me if you're feeling a certain way or you, you know, or like this isn't going to work unless we are frank with each other about everything. And so we have to, we've done a lot of work to make sure that we speak up the minute we start feeling, you know, like tension or whatever, we are very, very open and honest with each other. And that has made a huge difference. I think it's like a marriage. I swear. Like, and we did, we had this conversation too. We were like, we're both, um, pretty laid back, but if something's bugging you, you have to talk to me. Yes. And, um, yeah, we were, it is, you have to do that. (laughs) You just have to, and we know each other so well now we'll be like, okay, something's up you know, what's yep. going on and we'll talk about yep. it. Cause it is, it's so yep. important. Yeah. But it's, I mean, the benefits are amazing because, and you guys are probably like this too, but like, you know, we can help each other on our solos so well, because now like she knows what I'm trying to say, even yes. if I'm not saying it right. And so she'll be like, oh, you need to say this, this, and this, or you need to put this here. Or you need to move this, or you need to delete this because yeah. she knows what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and that is so valuable. Like, I feel like I have this like little cheat code <laughs> because yes. I have her in my pocket, you know? It's awesome. And so she can go behind me and really recognize places where my own solo stories need to be shorn up, you know? Yeah. Um, or tweaked or, you know, and so it, it really is like a little superpower now that I have yeah. because I have this relationship with her that has so much experience behind it now. Yeah. Um, that's it. I'll be like, you left me a note yeah. there. You didn't even have to leave a note. Like I know yes. what you want me to add. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now like if I'm writing something and I know that she'll nail it better than I will, then uh-huh. I'll just put a placeholder th- note in there. Like I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, you know, have like a really quirky townsfolk corny moment here and that's yes. like that is her that's her bread and butter you know and that's- so she'll be like oh rubs hands together let <laughs> yep. me add it you know yep I'm like Cora add like a funny family moment <laughs> yep and she'll yep. do it and then <laughs> it's so fun it's it so is it's fun. a blast as yeah. long as it's with the right person <laughs> yeah and you have to recognize your own like foibles like may is really into the enneagram and so she made me do the enneagram and so i'm an enneagram eight and she's an enneagram nine and basically what that means is i'm a controlling bastard who has very (laughs) strong opinions and she's like a really sweet little piece of grass that flows in the breeze oh and so so we so like i have to be very aware of like you know railroading her about how the story's going to go and so i yeah. get really self-conscious and i'm like well just cuz i think it should go like this doesn't mean and she's like calm down yeah. the reason i'm so easygoing is cuz i don't care as much as you do about this particular that, you know, yeah. decision <laughs> like, i will tell like you <laughs> yeah i will tell you i will stand up for myself and i'm like okay you have to promise me you'll stand up yeah. you know for yourself if i get this way so we talk a lot about that too like our communication styles to oh, make yeah. sure that like, we're on the same page. That's what I'm always like. If I care enough, I'll say something, but I usually mm-hmm. don't. Like I don't. That's me. That's exactly I trust me. you, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think it is. It's it's trust, total trust. And yeah. I usually am kind of done once we finish a book. Cora will go back and just add in all kinds of stuff, and she's like, "Okay, don't hate me." And I'm like, "I don't. I don't That's care. Me. I know. <laughs> I yes, trust you." Yep. 
And then I don't, and this is probably terrible. I shouldn't say this where any readers can hear, but like, I, I want to be like, I'm, I might not ever read it again. So like, do yeah. whatever you want. It's like, exactly. that's the is like, you're going to have no it. idea. I'm like, right. It's fine. I love right. it. I love and your I can writing. Do that with my sister too. Yeah, yeah. I can do that with my sister. Cause I'm like, she, she's already read this so many times. There's no way she's yeah. going to want to read this anytime soon. Yep. She's like, you're going to have no idea what I stuck in there. I'm like, well, I trust yep. you. So have fun. <laughs> Yeah, and I have such a terrible memory, and May knows it. Oh gosh, that she yeah. knows I won't remember. You yeah, know? and so I'll go through and read something, and I'm laughing at a line. I'm like, "You're so good," and she's like, "You wrote that." I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that was I in a huge state. We do that a lot. Too. Yeah. Yeah. like you're so funny. I'm like, no, that was you. Yeah, you you're funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do that all the time. It's really that's fun. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So next question. I'm sure you love writing, but which part is your least favorite? That is a good question. It is. Um, well, writing blurbs, I think a lot Ugh. of us agree that writing blurbs is hard because the pressure is really on. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got about 150 words to try and convince thousands of people <laughs> to give your story a chance. Um, yeah. so that's hard. Um, cause it you is really want to get it perfect. Um, and other than that, I would probably say, God, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. Ours is you the, mean like the, of the writing itself or the whole job? I don't know. I the think, whole job, yeah. I would say the admin, um, yeah. all of the admin that goes to support it. Um, there's a lot. So behind much. the scenes. So basically, yeah. yeah. So what we are, well, I'll use me as an example. I can't speak for anybody else. <laughs> so now that I have like 55 books. Yes. So I have 120 something products on KDP Ooh. because of all the translations and the short stories and the novellas and everything, right? <laughs> right. So I have 120 something um, products that need to be maintained. They need to be market actively marketed, you know, and sometimes yeah. that just means making sure they're up to date. So like if, if Amazon comes along and says, well, printing costs have gone up, so we're going to have to raise your printing costs, which means you need to readdress how much you charge for your paperbacks. And they do this I have to, to us. Go in, <laughs> yeah. I have to go in and do that to a hundred and something Oof. products. Yeah. And, um, or if, if I'm going to decide to, you know, take something out of KU, like, I have to really think through like, how's that going to affect everything else? And let me go look at my sales data. And, you know, and so basically what that means, and like I said, I can only speak for myself. I am a content creator. I'm a writer. I'm an, and you know, a lot of people consider that a type of artist. I am a creator. Yes. I am a full-time creator. I yep. am also a full-time publishing house of over a hundred <laughs> different works of oh, literature. Yep. And those are both full-time jobs. Yeah. So, and I don't, you know, I don't have a $50,000 a year salaried employee. You know, I have PAs, you know, who work right. hourly or whatever. It's not the same thing. And I don't, you know, I, I'm not like an actual publishing house with like staff. Right. So that part, juggling it all and keeping track of it all, even if I have people who help me, it's all still in my head. So I've spent the last year trying to get a lot of it out of my head and into a program so that other people can come in, jump in and help in different ways. And that the information is all 
out there in, in various databases so that if I tell one of my assistants, you know, this needs to happen, they don't have to come to me with a million questions. Right. Um, that, that is a good but idea. Now I have, yeah. But now I have a people management problem too, right? <laughs> so yeah. I still have, because I'm, I'm the final decider for a lot of it. And yes. so as the business part of it has grown, I've had to start learning how to juggle, still getting my writing done <sighs> with also running this growing business in an industry that I didn't go to school for and I didn't work in before I became an author. Right. Yep. You have to, that, so, I think that's going to be every author's yeah. answer is we just want to write. And we don't talk about that very much, do <laughs> we? Right. We really don't. No. Yeah. Because you don't so want to sound if, like you're complaining or that you don't love it, yeah. but we do, yeah. but it's just like, we want to write. And I actually, yeah, <laughs> I love that side of the business. Like I wish right. knowing what I know now, I wish, like, I would have been very happy having a career as, you know, a publisher of, of an author's work. If I had oh, never yeah. written a book, you know, and I had done that as a full-time job to support, like, let's say my sister's author career. Yeah. If I had just done all the business side, admin side, I enjoy it if that's my only job. Yes. It's trying to also get my <laughs> writing in. Like, I would be content just to do nothing but sales data spreadsheet analysis <laughs> all day, every day. I love that too. Oh, I love looking gosh. at sales data. I um, love your graphs, but I could never put them together. <laughs> like, I use software. It's, not, it's just automatic. Amazing. I use reader links for a lot of it. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so that's that. So the business side, that's my least favorite is trying to keep it all straight and keep it all under control. Yes. I lose track of a lot of things. So like right now I'm, I'm late getting information to my accountant and <laughs> I'm trying to keep track of the fact that I owe an estimated quarterly tax payment and uh. I owe some state taxes and I, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, that um, stuff I am so flaky with. Yeah. It's so bad because I do. I just yeah. get lost in my head and I just want to write. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yes. wait, there's so much more yeah. that I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say in terms of the craft of writing, like if there's anything besides blurbs, if there's anything I don't like about the craft <laughs> of writing, yeah, I would say I struggle the most with conflict okay. because – I want to get these two guys together <laughs> on page one and just make my, you know, make yep. my guys happy and just watch them, you know, <laughs> tiptoe through the, through the prairie grasses off Aww. to their happy ever after. And so it's hard to keep them, you know, keep conflict <laughs> going because I I, I'm kind of an insta love faded mates kind of person. And so I want to get, I want to have them fall for each other in the early chapters um, and then what's going to keep the pages turning. So that I, that's yep. what I'm constantly working on. When I read craft books, a lot of it is raising the stakes, you know, conflict, yeah, you have to balancing have conflict. external conflict with internal conflict, um, which yeah. basically is sort of like preventing the saggy middle. You know, we yep. authors talk about the saggy, the saggy middle. <laughs> it can be a big challenge. It is. Yeah. And that's, um, I know mine is like the epilogue. Like I'm like, they're happy. I'm bored. Oh, that's so easy for me. That See, so we're the easy. opposite. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to write this. And Cora and I, we will let an epilogue sit for like two weeks. We're just like, well. Sometimes I let it sit because I'm just over it with yeah. that book and those characters. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're just like, eh, they're happy. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We, 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 so I don't know if you guys do this, but so Sandra is my editor, One Love Editing. And oh. so we'll like send the book to Sandra. We're like, we'll get you the epilogue later. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yes. I could see yeah. us doing that because we will just sit there. We're like, eh, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, I don't want to do it either. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, that's where you that's where you hook the reader for the next book, though. Yes, and we know it's important, but we're just like blah. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Neither one of us wants to do it. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. We'll write the whole book in like three weeks, and then we'll let the epilogue sit for two weeks. Yep, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because it's very predictable. You already know, you know, there's not, yeah. there's not a lot of challenge in it. Yeah. But um, but I'll say I tried with my Astor Valley series. I tried doing something that Susan Stoker does with her epilogues. She writes uh, MF, romantic suspense, uh, okay. with like seals and stuff. And she would do her epilogue from the POV of the next main character. Oh, of the next book. that's so, interesting. You know, so if you've got like, if you, if you have like in my book, Borrowing Blue... <laughs> Blue's brother Jamie is uh, oh. works in Alaska, and his book is going to be next. The epilogue yes. would be told from his POV. You would still see Blue and Tristan happy; they're happy ever oh, after I like in the epilogue. That. But you would also get a you would also get a little bit of oh, Jamie's a little wistful about <laughs> it because you know he would like yeah. to find someone like that, and or oh my gosh, I hate the best man at their wedding; he's such an asshole. <laughs> like you know, click here to read the book about yes. him marrying the asshole. That's, you know? <laughs> I mean, you've got to have that hook for the next book, so that makes yeah. sense. That's yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't love it. I don't know that the readers like loved it. it but, really? Um, I tried it. Yeah. It's, well, yeah. it may be that I didn't love it because the readers did. Also That's for me, true. like Susan Stoker, supposedly, she's like four years ahead of herself on oh. her. So she can go back and change it before it comes out. You oh, know, so wow. like if I can't. So when no. I write the next book, I've already published this one. Yeah. It's too late to change it. So if I then go to start writing Jamie's book and the book doesn't, I end up, it turns out he doesn't live in Alaska. I need to change that. <laughs> then and the way that I lured you into that book is no longer relevant. Oh, yeah, and that's so scary. you're making, yeah, you're making more of a, and so now you're kind of tied to, to what you've written there. And I think that's why it works so well for her because like then she can go back and change that because that book hasn't come out yet. But for yeah. me, that's not the case. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's risky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. Tell us about the audiobook process and do you get to choose your narrators? So the audiobook process is a little bit like translations. You can um, sell your audio rights to an audio publisher like um, Audible Studios or Tantor or Podium. Yeah. Um, and then they would have it produced. It would be zero investment for you. They would have it produced. You may or may not have a say in who the narrator is or, you know, like the timeline and all that kind of stuff. That just depends on your contract and your agreement. Yeah. And then they would distribute it and then they would cut you a commission, you know, like a royalty check. The same, It's yep. a traditional deal, right? So that's one option. And then another option is to self-publish. And if you're going to self-publish... Audible has a creation exchange website called ACX, Audible Creation Exchange, which I may be getting that wrong. And that's where we authors go to, um, it's one of the options. Also, Find Away Voices does this as well. Okay. In their own by now, I think, um, where you can um, look for a narrator. Um, and then in this particular case, there, there are a couple of options. Again, if you're kind of strapped for money and you don't, you, you can't afford to do it all yourself, it may cost like three or four thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, then you can try and find a narrator who's willing to enter into a royal royalty share agreement. Yeah. In which case they would record it for free and then take a share of the royalties for seven years or okay. however long the agreement is. 
So that's one option. Or you can do pay per finished hour, which is where you just pay for it out of pocket and then you own the rights and you make all of the money yeah. after it goes on sale. So it's a you big initial of investment. It's a big initial investment. So like I said, for our standard MM novels, it's going to be like anywhere from $2,500 to $4,000. It really depends yeah. on the length of the book, what level of narrator you get. If you get two narrators or one narrator and all that good stuff, it depends yeah. on a lot of factors. That's all minor but, through podium. Yep. Yep. Yeah, my, my yep. too. And, and um, I was more than happy to do it because otherwise I was pretty sure I would never would. And they it's kind hard. of handle yeah. I mean, it, it is all. So, well, and just to remind, you know, readers out there, you know, when you're looking at, especially the three of us who are talking right now, you know, yeah. we've got multiple titles. So we're not just looking at, you know, $3,000. We're looking at $12,000 or right. $20,000 because you're not, you, nobody out there is going to be okay <laughs> with me just putting one yeah. book into audio and then waiting six months to see how it does. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's usually a much bigger investment than that. So, but I have always been a huge audiobook fan. Yeah. And so I knew when I started publishing, I knew that I wanted to do audiobooks if I could. Okay. And so, as soon as my first book made enough money to pay for the audio, I went ahead and did it. And it was, yeah. I did it as kind of a vanity thing for me because <laughs> I was such an audiobook lover. Yeah. And I felt confident at that time because I rapid released my first three books. Yeah. At that point, I knew that my books were doing well enough to still profit. You know, I, right. I, so it was low risk for me compared to other people. Now, that's not to say I had the money. I hadn't been right. paid yet by Amazon for my books. Yeah. So I, I put it on a credit card and it was Christmas also. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, and I had three small kids, oh, but I goodness. did put it on a credit card. Yeah. Yep. And, um, but I did know that I had royalties coming in, you know, yes. in 60 days from KBP. Yeah. That's a little it. different. But, yeah. <laughs> but I just want to be transparent with other authors I that like, that. it's, it is scary. It's very scary. Yeah. And it's not, I don't necessarily recommend that, but I knew that the money was coming from KDP to cover it. And, right. um, and it's not, and I'm also really clear on the fact that not every author can come close to either being able to afford it full stop or wanting to invest in that particular part of their business when there are a lot of other places you can invest in your business, yes. like translations or like a class on how to do TikTok better or a class on how to write better hook or, you know, there's yeah. so many other things we can, you know, better editing or developmental editing or whatever. Yes, 100%. So, yeah. Like, so, but I put out for auditions and I got an audition from um, Michael Dean oh, and, okay. um, and it was just, he just nailed it. Yeah. He nailed it. And so I hired him and, and he was so easy to work with. And we got along so well from the beginning that I just started giving him all of my business because Aww. they were making a ton of money and they were very successful. They were very yeah. well rated. It was all in the same series anyway. So for consistency's sake, I didn't even think about changing it up. And then yeah. It got to the point where my audio was so successful. It's sort of like, well, if it ain't broke, I'm not going to fix it, you know? <laughs> yes. um, and so that's why I've stayed with him for all this time. And now he's a great friend, which is why, you Aww. know, today's audio news was really upsetting. But, um, yeah, but that's not to say that I haven't used other, um, narrators. So when I decided to do a list run standalone release, a book called hostile takeover, I wanted oh. to use a couple of other narrators who I've always loved. Um, and they were like wish list narrators. Aww. Teddy Hamilton oh, God, yeah. uh, was one who is just fantastic. Awesome. He did, <laughs> yeah, he he did um him, Serena Bowen's Him and Us. Yes. Um, 
which is where I had originally heard him. And then Sean Crisden, who did Mary Calmay's Acrobat, um, which I just, he's done a lot of, a lot of different stuff, but I fell in love with his voice during that book. So I hired them to do, um, dual narration for Hostile Takeover just to get a chance to, you know, have one of my books narrated by, by both of them. So that was super fun. And, um, and, but I, I'm just a huge audio fan, but I'm very lucky because my audio sell very well. So I'm able to put everything I do into audio. Um, and it, I don't have to stop and think about it. Um, it it does really well. Um, but I am, you know, I do test it now. Like I said, um, I have taken some, I've taken the first six books of my Maid Marian series out of Audible exclusive and started selling them wide and started selling them on my Shopify store. And, um, so it's, you know, it's kind of fun to, to watch the data and see, you know, was that a mistake? Was it not a mistake? And (laughs) it's good to play around with it. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, a new, new audio retail situations are popping up. So now Shopify offers audio and like there's some authors who are putting their audio on YouTube with a very specific strategy in place and monetizing it that way. And, you know, so, um, but right now most of my audio is still exclusive to audible. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I collect a lot of data, like I said, for audio to just constantly reassess and strategize. That's smart. But, that's, I love that. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I love your group because it you're so transparent with it and it helps so much to see it. Cause like you said, a lot of us can't like play with that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So you never know. And so, but in, like in terms of the process and I don't know, I mean, not to go into too much detail, but basically <laughs> the way it works is you have to get on their their calendar, the narrator's calendar, which depending on the narrator is not that easy. So when you have a regular relationship with an audio performer, like I do with Michael, he keeps spots, you know, he knows, like I tell him what's coming up and when I expect it. And not only does he keep spots open for me based on what I have going on, but he also knows to be flexible because he knows how well am I at hitting deadlines? Not good. You know, like, (laughs) so he knows if I say it's going to be there October 16th, expect it around November 1st. Like, um, yeah. And so I don't miss, like, with some of those bigger name narrators, like, if you don't get it there on time, like, then you might have to wait another six months. Yeah. So um, yeah. so there's some benefits there. I kind of have that, that with um, Tim Page and Liam uh, DeCosmo. Yeah. Um, I have no idea how, but through Podium, like, I'm like, I really want Tim and Liam, and they agree, like, that day for like a whole series. So I've been pretty lucky with that through podium. Yeah. Well, and also like, you know, working with the the bigger company like podium, like they know that they can rely on podiums project. Like, you know, narrators get a lot of um, security in working with those publishing houses because those publishing houses look out for them, Yeah, you know, and that they bring them a lot of business and they, they're not necessarily as likely to flake as, as, or, (laughs) be super picky, like an yep. indie author, working direct with an indie author can be, you know, like in the beginning, Michael had to kind of like educate me on oh. like what makes for a good audio pickup because so the yeah. process is, so then I give him my script, you know, the, the manuscript of the book. We talk about, you know, accents or, you know, what I want different characters to sound like or whatever, any kind of odd uh, pronunciation issues I can hopefully tell him about ahead of time. Yeah. And then he preps and starts doing principal recording. And once he has everything recorded, then I have an audio proofer go through it, compare it, listen to it while they're reading the manuscript to note any mistakes or audio blips or anything 
off. Okay. But that sometimes is a laundry list of (laughs) mistakes and you can't just turn around and give him like 120 mistakes to fix. Oh, wow. If some of them are just natural. So when you say, um, you know, take a left at the red barn and when he narrates it, he says, take a left at the barn. Like, okay. is it really worth him going back no. and editing it to add the word red? No. Then. And so there are a lot of them that like he was on a roll, you know, and like he was speaking rhythmically and that's just how it came out. Yeah. And so, so I'm going to not send that as an error to be fixed. And yeah. so, so anyway, so you, you come up with your, you try and come up with a minimal list of that what's really sense. important to fix. And, um, and then you send those and those are called pickups okay. because he's going to have to pick up in that timestamp. They have to have a timestamp. He's going to have to pick up and re-record that little section and edit it in and try and make it sound seamless <laughs> and, um, and then give you the corrected files. And oh, then you wow. submit them to your retailer and wait for your retailer to approve them and put them for sale. And it depends, like there are other options. You can do a pre-order and whatnot, and it depends yeah. on what retailers you're using. But then that, but that's basically the, the process. Um, yeah. And Cora and, and I, we so, never see that because we have podium yeah. and like, it's all like done behind the scenes. And then we get an email, you know, your pre-orders up, which to be honest yeah. for me, like that's probably how it's going to have to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm not good with that other stuff, but that's so cool to hear that side of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and again, it's another time suck, you know, because yeah. if you're busy managing that and coordinating that, then you're not writing the next book. Yeah. Yep. So I, you have to, you know, you have to juggle all of those things. What's that worth to you in yep. your schedule? Because, you know, for some authors, it's not necessarily about the money investment. It's about the time investment. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. we're just like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just going to let them handle it. <laughs> and you do, you have to pick what is important to you. Yep. And what you want to do. And I know Cora and I, we've had so many conversations like, oh, I hope that, the, you know, we're still making money on this and this. And I'm like, well, you have translations now and you have audio invested and like, we're all going to be okay. <laughs> like you have mm-hmm. to think about this as your investments in your business early on. And then you're just going to still be making money on all of this. That's it. And I mean, that's the thing, like, and I've been thinking about making a post about this. Yeah. Um, but the more, and I talk about this all the time with other authors, cause I call it bricks in the wall. If you think of every product that you create, every story that you write and publish yes, and, and then every version of that, whether it's an audio version or a translation version or a special edition cover, like whatever it is, yes. all of those products become bricks. And if you have enough of them, each brick only needs to make a buck a day. Yes. Right? Exactly. For you to have a pretty decent living. Yeah. And so when you get a lot of bricks, one individual brick becomes a lot less critical. Yes. So that's why when authors stress so much about one particular release being a disappointment or it was released on a day when Amazon went down or it was released on a day when... (laughs) you know, something big happened or in the summer. world and drew everyone's attention away. Yeah. Like whatever it is, or, or you got a copyright challenge that day and you never got your al- algorithms quite back where they yes. should be like that. It crushes us. And yeah. I'm not saying it shouldn't crush us. Right. But if you have 150 of those bricks, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that one brick is like, okay, yeah, that stinks. But like, it's still a brick in your wall. Whereas if you only have two bricks, 
then one of them suffering on release day is crushing. Yes. And so that's why like I, what I, what I really want to post is like a screen recording of me showing you like, even if I just make a few cents per item, I have so many items now that it adds up. Yeah. And that's the power of residual income from building a backlist. See, I think that would help a lot because like I've been pretty open about it. My on the track series, I started book one in July, which was so dumb, (laughs) but um, it just, it didn't sell nearly as well as I thought, but it's okay because I have the Kinsley Panthers and they make up for it. And like yep. some people might think that I'm being negative about it, but no, I'm I'm being totally serious and just logical about it. You know, my on the track series just doesn't make as much as this one, but it's okay because they balance each other out. Yeah, it, there are a lot of yeah. authors who do that. <laughs> you have to and in like, our genre. Just, yeah, yeah, in our genre too, we have a lot of authors who have passion projects yes. where they want to write something special for representation reasons. They want to write a trans romance or they want to write, you know, a neurodivergent romance or they want to write, you know, a a main character with a disability or something, a a project that's really close to their heart Mm -hmm. that may not be as robust of a market performer. Yeah. But if they have other market performers that are paying their bills, then they can afford to to take chances with the, the books of their heart. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. That's like my alien. Yes, yeah. That's like my alien. Yeah. I'm going to do gonna it. Have fun. That's why I'm like, <laughs> do your passion projects because that's what keeps us going. Like, right. do what you right. want. Right. And there's some people who, who keep their day jobs on purpose because they always want to be able to write their passion projects. Yeah. And that is okay too. Yeah. You know, do everyone has different for goals for their writing. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's and yeah, stop comparing yourself to other people and just do whatever makes you happy. And and know, you know, the backlist <laughs> it is important. You know, as you build it up, it's going to help you out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Hostel came out like two years ago. It's still one of my bigger sellers every month. Mm-hmm. So you just never know. Right. Okay, so one last question. <laughs> Um, let's see. How do you decide what kind of cover to put on your books? Holy moly. Right. Okay. (laughs) You're going to get different answers from every author. So let me give you a disclaimer that this is just Lucy's opinion (laughs) about Lucy's books. Yes. I like to sell a lot of books. I like for my books to be in the hands of a lot of readers. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about how to cover a book, I think of how to attract a large number of readers. And one of the ways to find out what a large number of readers like in a cover is to look at the bestseller charts and see which books are selling a lot of copies. (laughs) Yep. And that tells you a few different things. It tells you what's popular right now, but it also tells you uh, what the trends are with genre expectations. And those trends change over time depending on the genre. And so for instance, if you write cozy mystery, there might be a period of time in cozy mystery where illustrated covers with a witch and a cat and a (laughs) cauldron are what most people are doing. Um, in which case you don't want to put, you know, even if you write a Regency witch, you don't want to put a photograph of a Regency 
woman, you know, holding a, like a switch broom yeah. in front of a grand chateau. <laughs> that's just not, that doesn't read cozy mystery to the, right. to the reader who's looking for a cozy mystery. Isn't going to see your book and think that's for me. <laughs> I want a reader to look at a book cover and say, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. And so what that book cover has to do is it has to say, Hey, this has exactly what you think it has in it. Yes. Um, and so because of that, I write steamy. Uh-huh. And so I like to have a sexy guy on the yes. cover because to me that implies that there's some steamy content. Yes. Not just a <laughs> handsome guy. A handsome guy, you know, might imply that it's a romance novel, but a sexy guy implies steamy content. Yes. And that doesn't mean he has to be naked. Like, yeah. I mean, I have a, a book called Virgin Flyer that the guy is fully clothed, but I think he has bedroom eyes. Yes. And it's sexy to me. Um, and it's not, it, so it doesn't have to be Manchester. That's why I oh avoid saying Manchester. I, I disagree that it has to be Manchester. <laughs> I have a lot of covers with guys who actually have clothes on. Yeah. Um, now they may have partial clothes on, but they still have, <laughs> like they may have an open jacket, but they still have a jacket covering yeah. their arms and shoulders, but. And no um, shade to that. Like just. <laughs> right. If it right. Sells, and no shade to Manchester either. Right. For sure. No shade to Manchester either. I can't stand um, those posts. Yeah. My, the only thing I'm going to throw shade at, and I will throw shade yeah. at this, if you are expecting to be treated like a professional author, <laughs> yeah, you need to have a professionally designed cover. Oh, yes. And that doesn't mean you can't design it yourself. You absolutely can if you design professionally looking, yes. professional looking covers. <laughs> and it so, takes so many years it, to yeah. do that. Like, Ari, my friend who does my covers, she is a professional. She's taken like years and years and years of classes on it. Yeah. Like it's an art. Yeah. yeah and there are things too, like, um, you know, there's like this, I forget what it's called, but it's like the Z principle where, you know, a, a reader's eyes go from the upper left corner to the, yes. to the right <laughs> upper corner down to the lower left corner to the yeah. lower right corner. And so you want it to be readable in that fashion. And so there are a lot of design elements that if you don't know what you're doing, you inadvertently could make for a really confusing cover. The other other pet peeve, not that I meant to get into a pet peeve list, (laughs) but the other pet peeve is if you make a cover that only makes sense after you've read the book. Yep. That is not going to help anybody want to read that book. Save it for special Um, edition. Save it for a special edition. Exactly. Yeah. Save it for a special edition. Um, but yeah. also then there are practical things. I want my name. It needs to be very visible in thumb, thumbnail size because yes. people are shopping on their phone. The author name needs to be very visible and easy to read in thumbnail size. Yes. So be careful of special fancy fonts <laughs> and script fonts. Yes. Um, oh my title goodness, needs yes. to be easy to read and easy to remember. Um, and um, so... So that's kind of how I feel about that. I think that, you know, it's not to say you can't diverge from what the genre expectation of a cover is. You absolutely can. Yeah. Just do it mindfully. Mm-hmm. This is what, um, yes. what's his name? Did you ever watch Project Runway? Yes. What's his name? He, you know, he would always say when you're at mood, you know, choose your fabrics, you know, yes. deliberately or mindfully or whatever. Yeah. That's or your accessories, the accessory wall. You <laughs> it's know, so important. Choose them mindfully, and that's what yeah. I like adore about you too. Is like, for some reason, like because I said like we are seen kind of as a hobby. Like you have no shame about it being a business, and like everything that you oh, right. do 
it affects your business. And I love that. Like, it's so true. Like, you can do whatever cover you want, but if you do kind of want to make your money back or make any money, you yep. have to think about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's okay to think about it as a business. Yes. Like, we, you know, I agree with you that a lot of people treat it like a hobby uh-huh. and, um, and like, so they think we should give our work away for free or very little money, yeah. or they think that we should be in this for the love of it. And we should, we should write books without spending any consideration about what the reader is expecting or looking for. Yes. And that is all well and good. I think if a reader wants to do that, they totally should. Yep. But if your goals are different, if your goals are you know, I need to also pay my bills so yes. that I can afford the time it takes to write a novel. That is okay. You're allowed to want to make exactly. a living wage at the pursuit that you choose for your career. And yes. this is my career. Exactly. And it's, yeah. it is, it is. And, and also the other thing about that, that I hope people understand is they're not mutually exclusive, right? I can choose to pursue income as a main goal here and also love what I write exactly. and write what I love. Yes. And I think that that's, yeah. that's what upsets me. It's such a misconception and people are like, I write from the heart. That I don't write for money. I'm like, um, I do both. <laughs> yeah. How many times have we had that conversation? <laughs> like, hello, so we many. love yeah. writing, but it's our job too. It's yeah. our career. We have built this up. Like, don't shame people for that. And I love like taking away that stigma because Mm -hmm. it is, we do love our careers, but you should be allowed to love your career and be successful at it. Yes. There's no reason. And I, and I honestly, I honestly feel like that is still a, um, a residual misogyny in our culture. Because I don't see that happening to men. Exactly. I don't see men like the big sci-fi male sci-fi authors Uh or legal thriller authors. um, I don't see them getting painted with the same brush. Nope. Yeah, Um, exactly. And, you know, and you could say the same thing about professional sports. Yeah. You know, you know, you love basketball. Why are you demanding so much money to play this game that you love? (laughs) Yeah. You know, you should be playing basketball for the love of the game. Yeah, writers, we don't make that much, guys. But right, right. Like, come on. Yeah, that's- and we don't, and we don't. Let, let's be clear, we don't demand that much. Right. Exactly, and it is. It's seen as a hobby, and I do love like this podcast and your group and how vocal you are because it's it's important. Like this is our job. That we love, but I mean, I hope that everybody has a job that they love. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong in treating it like a business. You're making investments to continue to make money to keep your job going. Yeah. And yourself. Yep. <laughs> yep. So Okay. Wow. I'm so happy that you were on here, Lucy. thank you guys so much for having me it's so I love talking about this business but I also love talking about it with other authors who who have this you know the same kind of passion for it yeah we're just so grateful for you being here and um can you tell us where to find you yeah absolutely you can find me at lucylennox.com I am very active in my reader group on Facebook which is called Lucy's Lair L-A-I-R and um, that's the best place to find me. And if you want to contact me, you can email Lucy at LucyLennox.com. So it's all very easy. Oh, yeah, that is. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And you guys go follow Lucy if you don't already. 
<laughs> yep. Thank you. We'll be back Thank next you. week. Bye. Bye.